kind of ministry has HPC had in, in our lives, and why is it that, uh, that God is at work in us to be a part of this? So, uh, Jenny, if you'll come this morning. In Psalm 66, 5, it says, come, to, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. It's an honor to get to do that today here. Uh, I came to HPC 25 years ago in 1990. I was a totally broke freshman, and I lived 13, years, uh, 13 hours away from my family. So HPC became my family, and I learned to depend on them pretty quickly. I learned to depend on the people, like Regina Pratt and Joan Fryer, who used to send me home with leftovers after the Wednesday night dinners. Joe Fryer, who I used to find out in the parking lot at my car, checking the treads and the um, pressure in my tires. Paul Webb made bookshelves for my textbooks for me. I lived in a safety net here, even though I thought I was on my own, uh, underneath Carl and Jean Kessel in their basement apartment. Mike Landreth fixed my car constantly. He would bring in firewood and check it for spiders first before he brought it in. Carl Kessel would come downstairs before dawn and get a fire going on really, really cold days so that we could wake up to warm rooms. But you know, there's something else that was happening then in the 1990s that I had no idea about. Um, these people who were helping me in these tangible ways that I could see were helping me in a way that I never knew until just recently. I just realized it. They were faithfully giving financially and of their time and effort over and above what God had routinely called them to do to give me this building. And I do. I feel like they gave it to me. And boy, have I used it. <laughs> I wish I had time to list all the ways that God has used this place to be an instrument of his grace in my life. My marriage, my kids, my friendships, my journey, finding God in the mundane and the adventures. Robert, you said I have 45 minutes, right? <laughs> Four to five minutes, okay. Um, so I'll have to summarize pretty quick. What has HPC meant to me? Uh, okay, I'll do 25 years in 2.5 minutes. How's that? As I do this, I want to ask and invite you all to listen for what you can relate to. For my story's not unique. I believe God is meeting us all here in this place. A foothold is defined as a secure position from which all further progress was based. That's what HPC means to me. It's been my foothold from the first year of my official adulthood till today. In this building, I've taken vows of membership, vows of marriage, vows of baptism, all these solemn ceremonies that have been so significant in my life and bringing glory and honor to my Redeemer. But you know, in between those formal ceremonial things, there have been a lot of significant times here in this building where God has pursued me to develop a personal relationship with me. In this room, I've worshiped, I've wept, pouted, moped, confessed, repented, complained, felt sorry for myself, 
rejoiced, pleaded, criticized, given thanks, laughed until I cried. I poured out my heart to the Lord in this building, and God heard every word. With Jesus by my side, living inside me, I've walked these halls, overcome with grief, swollen with pride, giddy with happiness, crying from a broken heart, and a lot of times stomping my feet in stubbornness. But my Heavenly Father has listened to every single one of my pleas here. I've been convicted in these pews of the darkness that's in my heart more times than I want to admit. But I've also heard over and over here that Jesus frees me and he took care of that debt and I'm free in him. I've been empowered to action here. I've also been undone by my failures. And as much as I've wavered, God has never wavered. I've wounded people that I love here with my words and my actions inside these doors. And God says to me here, Jesus took care of that on the cross. I've been forgiven thousands and thousands of times that I didn't deserve. I've said goodbye to loved ones here. I've welcomed new life here. In that foyer, I can remember times of feeling understood and accepted and inspired by the people around me. I've judged others here. I've felt others judging me. I've been reminded over and over, though, here in this place, that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I've learned about my Savior and my immense need for him in these Sunday school rooms. I've sat in those chairs out by the door, feeling betrayed and all alone. But no matter what I was feeling, my status as a daughter of the king never changed. And I still haven't gotten kicked out of the church. I have uh, served here. I've served in youth and children's and painted nursery walls and baby showers and committees and mission trips and all the things that are the life of the church. And I've been served here. Meals after surgeries, rides in the flat tire, hands that have held my babies, Dale's here, held my babies so many times for me. Hugs on good days and bads, advice from others who, have, who are further along in this journey, and so on and so on. It would take me 45 minutes to really remember all of those. But when I look back over them, I, I can say I have been a great example of what a Christian looks like. And I've also been an ultimate hypocrite, doing the opposite of what a Christian should do. But no matter what, I belong here. No matter where I am in my journey, I'm here. I've locked the youth group in this building and I've locked them out, and they've managed to get through both times. This steep driveway here, I've pulled the church van out of it with the smell of B.O. and vomit wafting through the church van. I've transported my own van, van fulls of kids here to this place for VBS and activities and hopes to invest in their lives. And then at times I forget my own children and leave them here. <laughs> But through all these experiences here, God is sanctifying me. He's revealing himself to me. I've been wounded by others here, but the only way that I've been able to learn to forgive them was because I had to learn here how God forgave me. I felt at home here, and I felt like an outcast here, but I belong. 
through all these experiences, I needed that foothold that this church has given to me to stay the course. I often feel like God saying to me, come unto me, Jenny. You are weak and tired, and you've gotten yourself into a mess again. Come here to one of my hospitals. They know what it's like to be sick, and they will show you the cure that I have shown them. And I am so thankful we don't have a perfect church, and I'm thankful that we're a mess. I'm thankful that Jesus has paid the debts for us because I could never fit into a perfect church. I oftentimes try to come to church with my I've got it all together face on, but really it's just Mary Kay. God knew that I needed an earthly shepherd here. If any of you have ever spent much time with a three-year-old, and if you're not paying attention to them, they'll take your face and they'll turn it to pay attention to you. And I believe that's what I've needed in an earthly shepherd to say, no, Jenny, this way, this way, this way, to comfort me, to rebuke me, to remind me, to hurt me, or uh, to forgive me, to compel me, but to always point me back to Jesus when I wander, when I stray. And HPC has provided that for me for 17 years in my life, to have a pastor who has walked through the mundane the painful and the joyful seasons and never give up on me in spite of how maintenance I can be at times. And in that office over there, I've been held accountable for my actions. I've been inspired to hold to my convictions. I've been called to the carpet. I've, I've asked hard questions. I've found some answers. And I've used boxes and boxes of Robert's tissues. From this pulpit, the profound love and work of Jesus has been preached boldly and lovingly and consistently to me. And I've told Robert, he probably needs to start preaching to some of you all too because the sermons apply to me every week. Week after week, God uses spoken word from up here to pursue me relentlessly and personally. And that's done through this foothold that he's given me. Another part of the foothold is a session Submitting to and trusting these men who have spent countless hours praying for me, watching over me, frustrated with me, speaking the truth in love and not giving up. So I sit here and think of the last 25 years and I think, how could I say thank you? There's that song, you know, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. I used to think that was kind of a cheesy song, but those words are really true. So... Were you one of the people who gave financially to these first three phases of the church? Thank you. If, are you someone who gives now to the general expenses of our church to serve its ministries and provide the staff? How can I say thank you for that? It's an inheritance that has made me the richest person I know. So I suspect Many of you have similar experiences that I've described, could list even more ways that God has blessed you and stretched you here in these walls. Let's continue to tell each other what marvelous things God has done here in this building, on this property, and with these people. It seems to me one of the best things that we can do as we look ahead at what's coming next is to celebrate and commemorate what God has done here so far. Psalm 118 says, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. 
This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. I'm excited and honored to have a part in the next building for the next generation. I want to give them a foothold. I want to give to them what was given to me. I will miss this place. But I do pray that the generations to come will find God in all of the nexts that we have here at HPC. said four two five minutes not 45 minutes thank you Jenny very much for sharing with us and it just reminds me what we've been saying all along is that it's not about a building it's about ministry it's about the the expansion it's about the ability to do ministry and to do it well for the generations and uh, that was a just for me a very moving reminder of what we are about, what a church is, which is you. Um, you are the church. We are in First Chronicles 29 this morning, verses 1 to 17. Surprise, surprise, it's about offerings for the temple. So you hear then, read with me the word of God, starting in verse 1 of chapter 29. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, he is young and he's inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but it will be for the Lord God. And so I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for serving, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and my own silver because of my devotion to the house of my God. I give it to the house of my God, 3,000 talents of gold, of Orphir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver of overlaying, uh, for overlaying the walls of the house and for all of the work to be done by the craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord. And then the leaders of the father's houses made the freewill offerings, as did the leaders of the tribes and the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron, and whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. And then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And David the king, he also rejoiced. And therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. 
Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God. And we praise your glorious name. For who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all these things have come from you. And of your own have we given to you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth, they're like a shadow and they're There's no abiding. O Lord, our God, all of this abundance that we have provided for the building you of a house for your holy name, it comes from your hand and it is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and you have pleasure in uprightness. And it is in the uprightness of my heart that I have freely offered all of these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we gather again as your people on this Lord's day, we come longing to hear your voice. Your word is living and true. And we long for you to speak it into our lives with power. May you soften and open our hearts and give us ears and eyes that we might see and hear. Speak to us afresh. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness. We talked about what a big project it was. It was no small task that God was calling them to. We looked at the cost of it. We said the gold alone for that project was in the neighborhood of $30 million. And all of the other resources added in, the project was somewhere $85 to $100 million. The project they're doing here, the permanent temple, with with solid walls all covered in silver and gold, is multiples of that, hundreds of millions. We saw last week how God provided the resources, that when God had his people leave Egypt, he had the plunder of of the Egyptians. He gave them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. On their way out the door, the Egyptians gave them gold and silver and, and precious stones and all kinds of resources to take with them so that when God asked of them, they had abundance to give. Today we're jumping ahead four or five hundred years in the story. They've wandered through the wilderness. They've come into the promised land. We've gone through the time of Joshua and the conquest. We've gone through the time of the judges when everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. We've come into the time of the kings where you have Saul and now David. And hundreds of years have passed and the tabernacle has served God's people for all of this time. But God had placed a vision in David's heart that it was time to replace the tabernacle. It was time for Israel to press on into what was next for them. And despite the great value that was placed in that tabernacle, the monetarily and as we just heard a little bit, you know, some sentimentally invested the value of it. Sometimes we talk about the sentimental value of something. You know, this is this is... This thing had become an aged and worn uh, thing that has traveled and moved and been set up and taken down in over hundreds of years. They were no longer nomadic. They had become settled. Jerusalem had become their capital. 
the population had grown, the times had changed, and it needed to be done. But I imagine that they felt a little bit like we feel, even as Jenny just expressed it a little bit, that we love this old place. You can imagine them saying, I love that old tabernacle. I, I, I brought my children to that tabernacle. You know, my kids have been, we've been coming there, and my, my father's father used to come to this tabernacle. Right? We, we love that old tattered thing. You know, it's, it's, it's got so many memories tied up with it. You can almost imagine it being wherever they set it up. You know, you know there's a tree out in front that their kids played at. Right? There, there, there's connection to it because there's a, there's a glorious history of what God had done as they met in that tabernacle year after year. But it was time for God's people to press forward. It was time for them to build for the future. To invest in a new structure, to do something new, a new temple. And for them, it was unlike anything that had ever been built. What David has in mind is, a, is an amazing and glorious structure gilded with gold and silver and precious stones and everything that is made within it is gold and silver. I mean, it was pretty amazing, glorious structure. And David knew that the hardest part of the whole thing is going to be raising the materials. Right? See, this was David's idea. He thought, I want to build a permanent house. Like, I've just built myself a palace. Most of us have built ourselves houses. They said, we all got houses. It's time to get God out of a tent, so to speak. It's time for the Holy of Holies to have a permanent place, you know, in our capital where we have settled. We are going to make something more permanent. And David knew that it would cost an immense amount. But I would say this, and, and it's interesting to me as I'm looking at this, that it was the last thing that David did before he died. Right? This is his, this is what he does with the remnant of his life. God had told David that he would not see the thing built. God told him he would never step foot in that new building. But David had a vision for it. He had a vision for the next generation. He had a vision for his people. He had a vision for the children among his people. He had a vision for what God wanted to do, and David wanted to invest in the next generation. And so he see chapter 29, which is all about, I just read most of it, about the offerings for the temple. And in verse 26, it said, David, the son of Jesse, reigned and died and was buried. And it's the last thing he did before the story of his death and burial was he provided for the building for the next generation investing in the future. It made me think as I was writing this this morning that I would tell you the first pledge has already been made for the building. The pledge was made uh, by one of our members. I'm going to tell you who it is. Janie Smith, who knew she was sick and who knew her time was short. A little bit like David as he looked and he had a vision for what God was doing. And she said, this is what I want to happen after I'm gone with my estate. And they said, well, do you have a will? And she said, no, I don't have a will. And so she said, well, get me a will. Because they said, it won't happen if you don't, if you don't make it happen. And so the last, one of the last things Janie did was to make the church her sole beneficiary of her estate. Now, she wasn't a rich woman. But she was a gracious and generous woman who loved this church and, and could see its future and could see what was next. And so the first pledge is in the neighborhood of $100,000 in our multi-million dollar project. But there it is. Janie Smith has gone before us and left us an example 
David spent the rest of his life funding the new temple. There's a wonderful chapter about how he did it. Once again, we see how God works through his people. In verse 1, it says, David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, he's whom God has chosen, he's young and inexperienced, for this work, and the work is great. And so the, the, the uh, palace will not be for man, but for God. Right? He says this palatial structure, this thing we're about to, to build, um, it, you know, he, he compares it to a palace, to this, this thing uh, of beauty and greatness, and it's a great work, he says. But the beautiful thing about it is even as he says, we're, we're building this thing. He says, it will not be for man, but for the Lord God. Right? Verse 1, it will not be for man, but for the Lord God. Right? For me, this is the key to this passage, and this is the key to what we're doing. It's the key to my own heart, as we have owned this property, as I've said many times now, 15 years, and I've had no great desire to do anything with it, because I have not felt like, I have not felt God moving us to do it. And I am not interested in for man, but for the Lord. And I think it is the key to this whole thing. He does it, and he says, we're doing this not for ourselves, not for man, not for David or his legacy, not even for my son Solomon who will be the king after me, not even for you people necessarily. But we do for the Lord because we believe that this is how God is working. And this is where God is taking us next. God gave clear, inspired direction to them about building the temple. In other words, it was God's will. Now, the leadership here would make no claims or that we're under no illusions that we have the kind of infallible direction that Israel had to do this. We didn't have the kind of prophetic leading that they had through Nathan who confirmed to David that his son would build the temple and God wanted it done and here's who's going to do it. Wouldn't it be nice if we did have that? Wouldn't it be nice in your own life just that thus says the Lord, do this? We don't have that, but I can tell you this. The only reason that Hicks and Prez is pressing forward into this, the only reason that we do it now is that we believe that God is in it. That, we, that the leadership in its entirety, with all my heart, I believe that God is in it. For the first time in 15 years, he's given a real vision for it and how what God is doing and what God will do and can do for the future, for the next generation. A sense of rightness about it, a sense of timing. It seems that God has affirmed it when we spoke about it as a session and as a staff. There was this unanimity that you don't get very often in very many things. And we took a vote as a congregation. And I forget the number, and someone can remind you, the percent of approval was 95, 96, 97. It was high, 97-ish. Um, Again, the kind of unanimity, I would not want to go forward. I would not want to put my toe in that water without that kind of vision, that kind of unity. As far as I know how to discern God's will and God's leading, he has opened every door, he has provided every need, he has brought great unity, and as far as I can tell, God is leading HPC to do it. God is leading us to build, to do what's next for us. And it gives me confidence then. In other words, I believe that it's not for man. It's not about us. We're not building a kingdom. But it is, in the best sense of the words, as David gives them to him, for the Lord. For me, that 
you see the difference? This is, this is, for me, the key. This is everything. Lynn and I were talking about it the other day, talking through our number, and, you know, some of the leaders are going to make some early pledges and try to, uh, to step forward as we're hitting it around and um, kicking some, some ideas that we had. And then the, the thing dawned at us as we were talking. I don't remember how it came up, but the whole thing was, you know, if God is doing this, and it kind of was put on the table, if, if this is God's thing, then, I don't know, it, changed, it started changing the way we were thinking. You know, here's what we can do, you know, but if, but if God is doing it, if this is truly for the Lord, right, what would push us forward was that it was not for us, it was for the Lord God. That was what pushed David forward, what pushed him all in. It's what he wanted to give the, the last bit of his life to, to, to leave and prepared for. And as he states it here as clearly in his worship and his actions and his statement, he says it is not for man, it is for the Lord, it is for our God. Do you see the huge difference? For me, it is a life-shaking, heart-melting, joy-producing difference of giving to the church, giving to a program, giving to a building, and giving because God says, I'm doing something, and I want you to participate in it. Right? Do you see the difference? Do you see that? I mean, it's a a heart-melting, mind-changing difference when God is asking to participate with him to serve him and his purposes, to advance his kingdom, to advance his ministry. Willing and joyful hearts, and that's what we see happen, right? In verse 5, David asks who then will willingly offer, consecrating themselves, that is setting aside as sacred, consecrating yourselves today to the Lord and willingly offer to this thing. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6, right? He asked the question, who will offer willingly to the Lord? I remember Isaiah 6, it says, who will go for me? And Isaiah answers in his call, here am I, send me. And here David is asking that question, and now as in Scripture, he asks on behalf of the Lord, who will willingly offer, in a sense, for me? Is the answer, here am I? Because when God is asking, I am moved in a different way than if you're asking. If you're asking me, I don't know, I, you know, I can hem and haw a little bit. But when the Lord is asking, it changes everything. What I'm willing to do expands exponentially. It changes completely when the Lord is doing something. David expresses back, back in verse 3, expresses his devotion to what God is doing. He says in verse 3, Moreover, in addition, I have provided for the holy house out of my own treasure, out of my own gold, out of my own silver. Why? Because of my devotion to the Lord's house. Right? He says, because of my devotion, other translation I have in there, because of my delight in, because I have set my affection on the Lord's house. Because I believe it is His thing. I believe it's what He is doing. I believe it's the advancement of His kingdom. I believe it has to do with His will. And he says, and so I have set my affection on it, and I've gotten all involved. I got up to my, up to my eyeballs. You know, I'm going to spend the last of what I got in my life and my resources because it's about what the Lord is doing. He expresses his devotion and his delight. It's amazing in a passage like this about a capital campaign, and it is a passage about a capital campaign. I don't know if you sensed it as I read it. You know, sometimes a capital campaign, there is kind of this quiet soberness about it. You know, people are like, you know, it's pulling teeth. It's like a trip to the dentist, a capital campaign. 
you know, and there's this, but here's a passage about a capital campaign. I don't know if you get the feel of this passage throbs with joy, right? It throbs with worship. David, by the time he's done, you know, that full-blown section of, you know, just bursts into worship about what God is doing among his people. And it just throbs that way. Verse 9, it says, then, as David asked, who will give? You know, verse 9 says, and the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. Right? They were full of joy. They rejoiced. They worshiped and praised. They were, they were a happy bunch because they had given willingly for, and with a whole heart. They had offered freely to the Lord. And David, their king, rejoiced. There was joy among God's people. Willingly, with a whole heart, freely. Why? Because it was for the Lord. Because it was what the Lord was doing. And that changes everything. Verse 17, you see it there. David, as he moves through that passage of worship, Right in the middle of it, in verse 17, he says something interesting. When he says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and you have pleasure in uprightness. Right? This is in the middle of his worship about this whole thing of, of capital campaign for a new building. And he, and he has this thing in his worship where he says, and I know, God, that you're testing the heart. And you're looking for, he says, uprightness. Because, he says, it's in uprightness of my heart that I have freely and done all these things. But you have pleasure in this. In other words, God is not just interested in the giving. Right? What is David saying when he says, because we know you, you test the heart. He's saying, God, you're not just interested in the giving. You're interested in the giver. You're interested in what is going on in the heart. You're interested in the state of the heart. You're interested in the attitude. You're interested in the motive. You're interested in your, your, your people, your person, and not just what they can produce. What is God looking for when it says, Lord, we know you test the hearts in the midst of this? What is God looking for? I think David says it. He's interested. He's looking for uprightness. What does what uprightness look like when you're, when, when you're in the middle of something like this? Well, the next verse he says, God, you, you know, it's like the psalm, you know, search me and know me. Right? God, you search my heart. And so in verse 17, he goes on, he says, In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely done all these things. God is looking for the freely. God is looking for the willingly. God is looking for the wholeheartedly. God loves a cheerful giver, and that's what God's looking for in the heart of his people in the midst of this wholehearted giving. It's interesting to see the leaders step forward. The leaders lead in the midst of all of this. David gave in verse 2 in his capacity as king. He says he gave all this stuff. And then in verse 3, after as the king and the leader of the nation, he had provided for it. In verse 3, he says, moreover, in addition to all that I've provided as king for the holy house, I have treasure of my own. I'm going to go home and open up, and I'm going to give. And he says, and out of my own treasure, out of my own gold and my own silver, because of my devotion for God, And David steps up as king and his leader to give. And then when he says down in verse 5, you see who then will offer willingly to consecrate himself to the Lord today. In verse 6 it says, the leaders of the fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands, the hundreds, and the officers in the king's work. In other words, the leaders, the fathers, the officers, the commanders, the leaders of God's people stood forward. And led God's people in giving. The first to respond were the leaders. David gave the call. 
And they set the example for God's people in giving, willing, joyful sacrifice. They gave creatively. You know, I'm, I'm always wondering at the list of things that they gave because it talks about silver and gold, but then it talks about bronze and iron and precious stones and, you know, all the different things that they gave. And the things to me is the creativity in the way they gave. Because I imagine not everybody had iron. I'm sure some of them had iron. I'm sure some of them, not everybody had gold. Some probably had some silver and bronze, but they didn't have gold. There are others, all they had was bronze, or all they had was some of the purple cloth that they needed to make, you know, whatever. Or some of them had some stones, and maybe some had rubies. And in other words, everybody gave whatever they had, and they were creative in what they gave. They gave resources for it, but they gave very creatively. That's part of what those inserts in the bulletin are about. You got one last week. We got another one this week. I hope it's not something that you toss out. I would encourage you. What we're doing in this whole process is this. We are seeking and listening. Right? I was saying it to the Sunday school class this morning. I believe that, you know, a lot of us, we already know this. Most of you guys have seen a capital campaign, been a part of a capital campaign, heard about capital campaigns, read stuff. I mean, but you know about the, the, the stewardship and the tithing. But part of what we're saying is this. You know what? There's a lot of things I know in my head. But at certain times in my life, God speaks them to me fresh. Certain times in my life, God works on me, takes me forward. There are many things that, that we think we know, but when we really are open to God, he will speak to us. And so we wanted to take these weeks. We're really saturating you. I know in Sunday school and small groups, we're talking about it. And here, we gave you a prayer book. We're giving you inserts. You know, we're preaching at you. You know, we're just to saturate us. What are we trying to do is simply this, for you to seek God and to listen. Does God have something to tell me? Are there ways he wants to move me? Really, the question is, how does God want me to be involved? What will he do? And so we ask you to look at that thing. There's things about creative giving in there, uh, <clears throat> of giving out of our, out of our, our accumulated or appreciated assets. But I want to close with David's worship. I want to come in there because I think that's where it has to end. It's really where it begins, and that's where it ends. And for David and the capital campaign, I hope as we've talked about these things, as we open God's word, I hope that it throbs with joy. I hope, it, I hope that, that it is saturated with this worship, that it leads us to this great worship. But David busting out in praise and prayer, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. What he goes through in this and he says, he, I, I used it in Sunday school because we were talking about stewardship in general. And this is one of the best passages, I think, in Scripture on the general idea. I mean, there's dozens of them, dozens of them. But here, David just lays out stewardship in his whole thing. What does he say? He says, everything is yours, right? In the heavens and the earth, it's all yours, verse 11. Heaven and earth, it's all yours. Riches and honor, they come from you. Strength and power to get riches and honor come from you. All of it's from you, verse 13. So what do we do? We thank you. We worship you, O oh God. We praise your glorious name because everything comes from your hand. In verse 14, that sense of wonder that David had. Who am I and who are these people that we could give so generously to be a part of something like this? Who are we that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all these things have come from you and of your own have we given back to you. That's stewardship. It's God's. He's put it into our care. You know, he's given us his resources. It's a parable of the talents, isn't it? To one he gave one, to one he gave three, to one he gave five. It's varying. We don't all have the same amount. We don't have the same stuff. Some have iron, some have bronze, some have gold. You know, it's all given variously, the talents, the, the money, and the whole idea of stewardship then, to use God's resources to advance God's purposes. That's stewardship. 
that what he has given us, it's all his. It's all come from him. And anything we give back, it's not some great thing we have done. It's, giving, it's being a good steward. It's simply doing our job. That's, as a Christian, that's what we are. We are stewards. We've been given good things by God. And our job is to use God's resources to advance God's purposes and to advance his kingdom and to bless him. And we can't serve both God and money. We've got to pick one. And if we, serve, if we choose to serve God, our money follows along. And good stewardship is our job. He says it's all from you. Everything we've given back, we've only given your own back to you. We've stewarded it, right? Verse 16, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and it's all your own. I know that you test the heart. I know that you you want us to do it as grateful, loving, worshipful, faithful stewards, willingly serving God and not our resources. This outpouring of abundance for the building, he says, is just being faithful stewards. This week I'm asking you to do some heart work. And that's where I, is this passage throbs with this sense. And David ends as he's given from this, the nation, from his own personal, as he's called his leaders and as he's seen his people. And as all this has forth, David turns around in worship and says, it's all from you and for you and through you and to you. And we can do anything. And as David, he thinks, can I can leave this as I leave this world to invest in this thing that God is doing. I'm asking you to seek deep conviction, to seek, really it's that heart work. You know, there's one last week we said God has provided it and, and he calls us to be involved. And then it's, it's that heart work that says, God, I need a deep conviction that all, everything that I have is yours and has come from you. And you put it into my hands to use for your purposes and your glory. In other words, that I am a steward of the things of God. Right? To seek that worldview, that deep conviction of the heart, which changes our relationship with our stuff, doesn't it? From, you know, it changes our relationship from, from one aspect of our stuff, what I have gathered, what I have done, what I have accomplished, what I have, you know, to, wow, what God has given to me. And what does God want to do with that? That's a whole different animal, and it's to seek that conviction that stewardship is nothing more than using his resources to accomplish his purpose, seeking the conviction in the deep places of our heart that it's not for man, but it's about God, right, and seeking conviction in our own hearts that we simply want to faithfully do what we hear God calling us to do. And that's our heart work. God in his grace has already given us everything. And now in his grace... He calls us to stewardship, to the great blessing, to the great glory of worshiping, serving, honoring, following God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we come this morning, we recognize that everything we have comes from you. Father, we would confess that it is not our strength, it is not our wisdom, it is not our ability. But you are the giver of these things. And the earth is yours. We are visitors here. Our lives are a blip. And the earth and all of its abundance is yours. We would use what you have given to advance your kingdom and your glory in the midst of it. Father, set us free from the service of man, from our kingdom and our glory, that we might be free 
willing and wholehearted about your purposes and your kingdom. For we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.